This podcast is brought to you by X-Blades. This is The Running Game, a podcast that covers rugby from the ground up. I'm Tim Gilbert. I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Dunning. Matty, how are you? I'm fantastic, uh, Timmy. In lockdown, more restrictions, but I'm I'm going okay. But we can watch the sport, which has been fantastic. Coming up, we have former Scottish Test player Dan Parks, who, of course, grew up in Sydney. He's got a cracking story. And Tony Fisher, he's a name which a lot of people won't know, but he's such a rugby man. He played at Reftit and a great administrator. We'll check with Tony today. Eden Park, well, 35 years we haven't won there, Matt, but uh, I tell you what, we weren't that far. The penalty late in that first half, questionable. It was a massive momentum change. What do you think? Yeah, no, the, the Wallabies were good. That's what made it so frustrating, you know. It was a game... You know, there was a 20-minute lapse there where the All Blacks just showed their, their, their quality and, and, you know, they were far far better in that 20 minutes. But there was parts of our, of our game that if we got it all together, that was a game we could have won. You know, that was frustrating about it. Our line-out let us down early. Um, the scrum went sort of 50-50. But, yeah, no, look, there's, there's a lot of encouraging signs. It's, it's, if, if, we can, if we can bring it all together, this Wallaby side can do well. And, um, yeah, look, I think there's a lot of positives to take out of the game. Um, but on the same token, we have to really work on our execution, you know, and get everything right. And and let, let's be honest, to beat the All Blacks at Eden Park, you know, it, it hasn't been done since '86. So you know that that's the positive. You know, the guys they had a chance to win, you know, to be competitive and almost win that game. You know, the first half, you know, the lineouts a bit more effective, and you know. It, we could be leading that first half by 10 or 15 points. And then we've got a totally different game, as you said, the momentum switch. So I think, you know, the, the positives are great, but let's let's execute and let's be hard on ourselves because this Wallaby side can beat an all-black side. There's no doubt about that. And they're young, you know. They look predominantly very, very young. So at August well for the next few years, we've been talking here for a few months on this podcast about structure and systems and where we go as a game. Um, there's something very exciting about youth and when, when youth comes together and they're doing a job, they're only going to get better. Yeah, I mean, we've got to get that mix right. There's no doubt youth is very important and we've got that. But I'd really love to see just a couple of old heads in there too as well uh, when they're fit to get that mix right. And I think, you know, um, you know, James, we've still got James O'Connor and Nick White on the sidelines too, which which will only add add to the team. And, and not saying the guys at the moment aren't doing a great job. I just think, you know, to have that mix of those those two older guys in there will only add to this side. And I think um, as our young second rowers are learning on the job. Um and um, you know, look. I think what what, the, what they gain the experience on on Saturday night um, will we'll, we'll set them up for the rest of the year and the rest of their careers. Yeah, can't wait for this next game. All right, we've got a huge show on the way coming up shortly on the running game. He is a guy that grew up in Dundas Valley in Sydney, but went on to play eighty Test matches for Scotland. It's a cracking story. Dan Parks. <laughs> Well, how does a man that was born in Dundas Valley, went to Marsden High School, go on and play an illustrious career for Scotland? I've never spoken to Dan Parks, but I've followed his career with a lot of interest, and he joins us right now. How are you, Dan? I'm very well, thanks, Tim. How are you guys going? Yeah, really good. Really good, Dan. I guess uh, Tim stole my thunder. How do you play 80 tests for Scotland when you're born born in Hornsby and play for Dundas Valley? 
Well, the story goes, um, I actually don't really know how it all eventuated myself, to be honest with you, but um, my grandfather was uh, was born in Scotland and uh, he moved over here when he was four years of age. Um, I think that was the early 20s, the early 1920s. And um, anyway, so that basically gave me the ancestral right um, up until I was probably oh, maybe 21, 22. I, I didn't realise that was the case. And I, I obviously thought I'd I'd have to play or if I could um, play for Australia. Um, and I guess as time drew closer to the, my early 20s, I, um, I made a decision to to head overseas. Initially, it was to Leeds for, on a three-month loan. Um, in the that was in 2001, and while I was there, Sarin McGeekin actually reached out to me at the time and said, uh, asked if I'd be interested in playing for Scotland. And and again, I had no idea that I was even eligible um, to do that. Wow. So that was the first, that was my first understanding of it. And then I came back to Australia for for two more years, played club rugby here, and then um and then I, I decided to to try my hand at going over to um over to the northern hemisphere. And and luckily enough, I got picked up from the Glasgow Warriors, and and I guess the rest was history from there. Oh, what a cracking career you had, Dan! And like with Glasgow Warriors, and not 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 only your club career, but your international career. Uh, that that point where you got man of the match in three straight games, player of the World Cup series for Scotland in two thousand and seven. Um, did you ever have a pinch yourself moment to think, whether you're at Murrayfield or in the middle of a World Cup, thinking, how did this happen? Um, I guess you could say that right from the very start, Tim. I, I I, I was one of those ones that was um, back in the day playing here in uh, in Sydney, Sydney Clubland. Um, we we only had the three provinces that played Super back then, um, being the East Coast, uh, the Waratahs, the Reds, and the Brumbies, um, and the Rebels and the Force at that stage hadn't really been, I guess, thought of. So there was a lot of people lining up for only a limited amount of spots back in the day, and and I was one of those guys. So to go over on a professional contract to Glasgow Warriors was a a bit of a dream come true for me. I'd, I'd recently turned 25 and, um, yeah, so I just wanted to give it a shot. It was going to be a, a two-year experiment for me and and as it turned out, it ended up being I was away for 12 years playing over there. So um, I, I guess you could sort of say when I first got to Glasgow, it was a bit of a, a pinch yourself moment and then um, I was called into the the 2004 uh, Six Nations squad um, right at the very the very first camp, mm. and and that was a real eye opener for me. It was it was a camp in Stirling in the middle of Scotland, and um, it, it was something else for me because the reality was I didn't really know. Sounds strange, but many of the players that were playing for Scotland, um, so that in itself was quite bizarre. But but soon enough picked up on things and. Uh, and away I went on this very special ride. Uh, Dan, interested for your your comments. Obviously, your game may may or may not have been suited more to in, to, to the Northern Hemisphere style game. Do you think that was the case, or did you just you just sort of you, you lifted your game to another level when you got that professional opportunity? Um, well, I think as you know, Matty, my uh, I guess my biggest strength when I was playing was was my organisational abilities and my I guess my kicking game. Um, so I sort of always knew it would be, uh, it would be suited up there actually. Um, and, uh, and so I, I guess when I got there, um, you know, I made, I guess, a good impression on certainly on the Glasgow, uh, coaching staff and, and the players. Um, and that was a great experience for me just to even be, as I said, in a professional environment. So, um, and then I guess from there I moved on to the, the Scotland arena and, and I guess things just worked out and don't get me wrong. When I first started playing for Scotland, yeah, there was some really high, um, there was some real highlights, but there's also a lot of low lights. Back in, back when I first started with Scotland, we we weren't that successful, um, so it was really difficult for a couple of years there. But it was it was an amazing, um, I guess, experience and and one I 
absolutely loved pretty much every minute of it. Yeah, there were some tough times in there, but overall it was it was absolutely wonderful and, um, yeah, some lifelong memories. They're bloody parochial too, aren't they, the media? The media in that part of the world in Scotland, um, that doesn't make it easy when you're a player. No, and, and you know, I've, I've mentioned this before. I think for me, coming from Sydney, I, I one of the big things I, I used to love about the media here in Australia back in the, in the early 2000s and late 90s was – um, if you were good, you got celebrated. If you if you weren't playing so well, you just weren't talked about. It was just, well, we'll just talk about the guy that's going well. And I think for me, when I got to Scotland, it was almost the opposite. Let's Because we're not doing so well, let's really focus on the negative. And it was, I found that very difficult because I'd come from a real positive environment. Uh, and maybe that was just my experience, but that's certainly how I took it. Um, and it was one of those things I had to just learn to live with and, and, and move on from that and try and do my best on the field and, um, and try and not necessarily listen to a lot of that media because, uh, you know, I used to enjoy, you know, reading articles and, you know, just watching news clips back here in Oz. But I must say, after a few years of copying it, you sort of stopped reading things. So, Dan, we've, we've just had the, the series wrap up from uh, the British and Irish Lions versus uh, South Africa. And what a close, you know, what a close test series. Mate, what were your, what, what were your thoughts of, uh, of the world champions up against the British and Irish Lions? What do you think of the performances by both sides? Yeah, really interesting one because there's been a lot of commentary all over the world around this. Um, a lot of people quite, I'd say, that negative about disappointing about the series and how it was all played out. Um, I think you've got to you've got to congratulate South Africa on how they approached it. I think the Lions they knew how they were going to approach us in South Africa, but uh, at the end of the day they they fell just short. Um, but they just couldn't quite manage it in in the end. Um, the first match I think was a bit of an upset for a lot of people, um, and uh, and I think people sort of thought that the Lions would have gone on with it in game two and three. But in that game two in particular, South Africa just completely nullified anything the Lions attempted to do. Um, and they were just, you know, quite superb in what the, the brand they were trying to play. Um, and I think if you look at it, uh, I think it's very well documented since the impact that Finn Russell had on on game three in particular was quite mm. remarkable. Mm. And it sort of gets a lot of people shaking their heads and scratching them going, where was this guy earlier? Why didn't we throw the dice? Because, you know, it's been proven he's had good success against against South Africa when he's played for his um, for the Scotland national team. And He's a very exceptional player. You know, you could say rocks or diamonds, but that was maybe what this, I guess, what this series needed was someone like a Finn Russell to shake it up because, tell you what, he is the, right now, he's the man that everyone is talking about in the world of rugby. You, you played with, you played, as you mentioned, uh, some wobbly Scottish teams, but there were some very good teams. Um, can you tell us, we mentioned South Africa and the, the, the British and Irish Lions. What about in that game where, where you beat them uh, and, and it was close? And it was a great win. Yeah, um, you're referring to back in was that 2010? Yeah, I'm winding the clock back. I know. <laughs> yeah, mate, you are. Uh, interesting one in that game, actually. Um, we, uh, I don't think we scored a try. I think we won 21-17, and we didn't end up scoring a try. I think you scored all the points. Well, yeah, I was. Well, yeah, I did, but it was it was one of those kind of games where we'd played New Zealand the week before, and we led against the All Blacks. We led three nil after eight minutes, and it sounds strange, but we were absolutely all over them um, after. Uh, I think it was 25 minutes, we were down 35-3. And, and that sort of put it into perspective, I guess, mm. of how strong New Zealand were. So when we came into the South Africa game, it was reason- reasonably tight at halftime. I think we might have held maybe a six-point lead. So it was a case of never feeling like we were, you know, in control of the match. And before we knew it, it got to the end of the game and, and we somehow won. And it was, it was quite a historic day because, as mentioned, we got absolutely slaughtered. 49-3 the week before, and then we managed to to turn them over. And um, and I think that was the element of surprise because 
you know, later on in, on the South Africa tour that year, they went, um, they played at uh, Twickenham against England and gave them a real touch up because uh, I think obviously England then probably took them a bit bit easy at the time. So, but they're they're always going to be a quality team. They sort of get themselves up for different tournaments and. I think in the last couple of years, they've done a replica of what they did in 07 and 09 where they won the World Cup and they've gone on to win the Lions series. But, um, yeah, they're a quality team. And, and I think every team that goes up against them, they know what they're going to get, but you've just got to stop it. And it's proving recently that no one can. So, Dan, you're, you're an avid rugby fan. You can hear it in your voice, and obviously I know it. Um, and you're still involved with rugby now. You've done some commentary. You're also doing some kicking coaching. I guess, what's your opinion, or how are you seeing Australia rugby at the moment? How do you see rugby in this country at the moment? I think it's, I've got to say, I think it's on massively on the up. Um, you know, I think if we look at where, where they're currently sitting, you know, they obviously lost by eight points the other day. Now, I think if you're a realist, you, you've got to say that, Potentially, New Zealand uh, possibly switched off towards the latter stages of that game. But I don't care who you are. If you score four tries against New Zealand, then you're going pretty good. Um, they did some really good things in that last um, passage of the game. Uh, unfortunately for for Lalesio, he, he didn't have his best day with the boot. And, um, you know, he, he was absolutely outstanding with the boot in the French series here in Australia. Mm. Uh, and mm. I have no doubt he'll, he'll come back after that. But, um, you know, they, they were right in that game at various parts. Yes, New Zealand had a, a really good period, probably from the 38th into the 60th minute. But then, mm. uh, as I said, I, I personally think that they're, they're on a real upward curve. The, um, the amount of momentum that uh, I think the code has got in Australia with Channel 9 and Stan getting involved, I think that's going to give um, the, the code a massive lift. So I, 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 me personally, I reckon that the Wallabies, and certainly in the next couple of years leading into 23 and then in particular into 2027 World Cups, we're going to have huge shows at, at really taking out the crown. Yeah, it's exciting. And it's nice to have seen the Queen Mary turn around because uh, it really was. And then, look, not saying it's perfect, but there are some real green shoots. I do want to ask you, and we've only got so much time, really enjoying the chat, Dan. What's it like What's it like being in a stadium? Because uh, we hear a lot from Wallabies about tours, and I've spoken to Matt about it, being at Twickenham and, and being at Lansdowne Road in Murrayfield. What's it like being at at the home ground of Scotland with the whole crowd singing and you're in that jersey. Can you give us a, an insider's view? Oh, well, it, it clearly is a very special, um, I guess, feeling that you you go through. Um, to me, it was always the build-up. I, I used to absolutely love that, that feeling on game day bef- before getting to the ground, uh, the amount of butterflies that were going through the system and then, you know, on the bus to the ground and then, I guess, doing your warm-up, walking around the stadium, just all that side of it, really getting the buzz. You can feel the crowd starting to build and, um, for me, that was that was all part of it. But in particular, you know, the the late afternoon, early evening kickoffs at, at Murrayfield, um, you know, complete darkness. The lights would all go out. There'd be a piper on top of the stand, and it was real spine tingling moments. And especially when you get you feel that at home crowd getting behind you. There's there's not too many better feelings. But as I'm sure you guys know, Maddie in particular, it's then about delivering. And, um, you know, and, and the times we did and we, we got those results, especially on those occasions, the South Africa one, as you mentioned, it just made it absolutely incredible and always made for a really good fun night out afterwards. And Dan, just just, just like one last question. I just wanted to ask you this. So from a, from a kicking point of view, obviously that was you know a massive and organisational part of your game. How do you see the Wallabies on that organisational and that kicking part of the game? Where, where Where's the improvement? What can be done to improve that side? Because I, I definitely think it's something the Wallabies can work on. Well, yeah, I think so. And, and you know, I, I get a lot of, um, I guess, a lot of criticism about this, but I'm a, I really like the box kick in the game. Um, you've mm. seen what how advantageous it can be. South Africa in particular, 
Obviously, the Lions tried to bring it in a lot. Um, but I've been a big advocate for the, for the box kick. I know Australia certainly, um, since Michael Shecker has, has left, do a lot more box kicking under the different coaches they've had since then. So uh, it's a real weapon. And if you can get it right, um, as I said, I think it can get you massive, massive gains. We've seen what South Africa do with that style of their game. They, they basically won a World Cup in 07 down to that style of kicking. And then you've seen their success in more recent times. Um, but I think overall, as I said, there's a constant improvement. Noel Alessio, he's only a very young 10. He's getting better and better, I think, every single week, especially with his uh, with his general play kicking. Um, but if you look at some of the statistics going around world rugby, you look at New Zealand, you know, we talk about how incredible they are as an attacking team, but they're probably the team that does the most kicking in world rugby. You, you, no one really understands that, but they do, they do do a lot of kicking to get out of the half. And it's those moments when it's um, ad lib and, and the ball's free is when they do their, their most damage. Yeah, well, well said. Oh, I can't wait for the rest of this series. Dan, it's been a, an absolute delight to have a chimwag and uh, we'd love to get you back on again. And uh, it is the game they play in heaven. There's a little question of it. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure, guys. Thanks again. I'd love to come back on at any point. Coming up on The Running Game, Tony Fisher, one of those men that just has put so much back into the game of rugby. He played it, he's been a referee, an administrator, a president of the Sydney Junior Rugby Union. We'll chat with Tony next. All right, it is time to talk grassroots rugby and it's a delight to have ex-president of the SJRU, the Sydney Junior Rugby Union, with us. And, uh, of course, he's been ex-president of a a number of of the leagues over the years. Tony Fisher, how are you? Good, thanks, Tim. Great to join you. Hey, Tony, thanks for coming on and uh, um, we really appreciate it. Um, How do you get involved in sort of the the junior volunteering and the junior administration? How how, how was your story to get – how did you get there? Um, my boys played at Wurunga Rugby Club and I got involved in managing one of the sides and uh, what happened then is the president came up and said to me, oh, do you want to manage the tour to Japan? And I yes, wasn't please. an organiser. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wasn't an organiser of tours, but I said, oh, look, I'm happy to be treasurer. So I took on the role of treasurer at Wurunga Rugby Club, worked my way up through the ranks, uh, was president at Wurunga Rugby Club. Uh, built the new clubhouse that's up there on Cliff Oval and I'm biased but I reckon it's the uh, best clubhouse in Sydney the only place where you can uh, drink a beer on a Friday night and watch your kids play rugby yeah well they are fierce competitors of ours we're at Dural so we're wrong but uh, I don't mean to interrupt continue on then um, so I got involved in uh, the administration as treasurer went up through the ranks through um, Wurunga Rugby Club um, and then just saw opportunities, got involved in uh, what was called Northern Zone back in those days and through Northern Zone then went through to Sydney Juniors and also had a role in at New South Wales Juniors. But it was my way of giving back to the game. Um, it's a game I love and I don't have a passion for coaching um, because I couldn't always commit to being at training. But administration you can do any hours of the day or night and so I took up that opportunity to, to give back to the game I love. I love your story too Tony, started as a ball boy at the West Wyalong Weevils, uh, went, went to Scots in Sydney. Tell us a little bit about the that 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 story, your your rugby story as a, as a ball boy through to a player, through to a referee. So um, I grew up in West Wyalong, uh, my father was the local doctor and uh, the radiographer or the guy that took the x-rays at the local hospital was... Um, the local hooker for the West Wyalong Weevils. And um, 
I don't know how it came about, but he said, oh, we're looking for a ball boy. So I went and uh, ball boyed all around Southwest uh, Rugby. Uh, he would come pick me up and we'd end up at Cowra and Grenfell and no matter where it was and uh, loved the opportunity to go and run the line. And uh, for those that are old enough and um, used to be ball boy for a guy called Tony Gilling, who was part mm. of the mm. Carl Harbright era that put the ball up the jumper when country played uh, City. So... And he was a wallaby from West, dear old West Wallong. Um, went to school down here in Sydney and um, played rugby at Scots. Uh, when I left school, one of the guys that lived next to me had been uh, co-opted to go and play for Gordon and they were looking for some fullbacks to run around at Gordon. He said, I know someone who can play fullback. So went and played Colts at uh, Gordon. Uh in the second year there, I played first grade Colts with people like Steve Cutler, which was wow. amazing watching him play. And uh, back in the days where lineouts were a brawl and he was a very big boy and the amount of times he got picked on, but uh, he, he stood up and look where he ended up in, in rugby. Um, then went and played lower grades at uh, Gordon because uh, work got in the way of rugby, unfortunately, and um, got an opportunity. And at one stage there, I was playing for Gordon fifth grade and then running across and playing uh, second grade for Linfield. And mm. They said, oh, come and play for Linfield. So I did. Uh, they had just got um, relegated down to second division and played uh, there. We won a Barraclough Club. Barraclough Cup uh, and went back up into First Division. And while playing there, it was interesting. Um, I was getting on. I was in my late 20s then. But uh, one of the fantastic things that uh, Subby's Rugby offers you is that there was five young kids that had played Colts at Gordon said, we don't want to go to grade. Let's go and have some fun in Subby's Rugby. So they came down and played at Linfield. Um, one of them is a guy called Chris Saunders who ended up playing on the wing for uh, New South Wales. And uh, I played 5'8". He played 5'8", and I played inside centre. So I was the old head who tried to look after the young buck. Yeah. I love – I love. I love. to be honest, I just love these stories, don't you, Matty? Like, they're these stories of, you know – and that's what rugby offers, doesn't it matter? It offers this this whole yarn, this whole sort of uh, patchwork quilt of a story, whether you play for the Wallabies or you don't. No, definitely, Tim. And, uh, Tony, obviously the, the passion's there. Like, what about rugby that – you know, obviously there's so much to our game and people have – different you know different things but why is what was so attractive to rugby for you since the first day as a ball boy when you were six what attracted you to the game of rugby the most i just the mateship the camaraderie um you can't beat it um i've got friends from all through my rugby career that you know it's you mightn't see guys for five years 10 years even 20 years you run into them in the street or a pub and you immediately can strike a conversation and talk about all the good times you had while playing rugby. And, you know, as we've talked about is, um, you know, going on tour. I'll never forget my first <laughs> tour. Um, that was down to Melbourne and we took the uh, the train from Melbourne to, uh, from Sydney to Melbourne. And, uh, well, don't know how much sleep most people got, but ended up drinking most of the night and played a bit of rugby. And uh, some of the players, it was the same weekend as the grand final in Melbourne. And it was an opportunity for a couple of people to duck over and watch the grand final. They ducked in mm. at three-quarter time. So, oh, look, there's heaps of opportunities. Um, you know, Warunga has a sister club in Japan. So I had an opportunity to go over to Japan and tour there. And it's amazing, completely different culture. 
completely different when you're mixing with people who can't speak English and I can't speak Japanese. So it's amazing how sign language comes into to being. But again, the love mm. of rugby between two parties, you, you still find a way to converse between each other. Yeah. Yeah, there's a universal language there, isn't there? Now, you, your, your, your playing career ended with a, with a few concussions and your dad, as you mentioned, was a doctor and he said, okay, come on, Tony, uh, your playing days are up. So you ended up taking up the whistle. You were a referee, uh, uh, which is a difficult job, but one of the cracking stories that you, you were alluding to off air was that you're the only ref, we think, that got knocked out while refereeing. Tell us about that. I've wanted to, I've wanted to knock a few referees out, mind you. I've never done it. <laughs> you won't be the first, Matt. You won't be the last. But, uh, oh, that's all right. Um, I was uh, refereeing on Knox 1, um, a schoolboy game of rugby. Mm. and um, there'd been a break downfield. I was um, in the middle of the field looking out towards the wing mm. and just following play. Um, and what happened is from my blind side, a player ran in front of me and I didn't see him coming. And what happened is I, um, as I put my foot down, I clipped the back of his foot and I basically went head first into the turf and knocked myself out. Um, everyone on the sideline said, well, you know, he's an old guy, so he must have had a heart attack. But no, I uh, knocked myself out. And uh, next thing I remember is coming to, um, my wife came onto the ground. My son was playing in that game, so he was concerned. My son, another son was on the sideline watching, and they tried to work out what had happened. But yes, I only got concussion, got carted off and taken to hospital. <laughs> and then the concussion protocols kick in, which is all fine. So, yeah. Oh, that's a cracking story. So, Tony, you've had a very successful business career, and uh, I'd love to hear your opinion. Obviously, you you know, you've, you've been a chief financial officer and, and, and you know a lot about running a business. How, how do you think Australian Rugby Union is, is, is running their business? And it might be a bit of a tough question, but how do you think what they're doing well and what they could work better on? Or how does it translate uh, sport business to, uh, to, I guess, business as a whole? Um, I think what you look at what New South Wales Juniors has done over the last three three to five years is um, getting everyone to come together and be as one. And when I first um, got involved in junior rugby, there used to be, well, you go back to Northern Zone, Southern Zone, Western Zone, none of the three would talk. And mm. if I fast forward to today, whereby if you have a look at New South Wales Juniors, we've got country schools and Sydney all in the one room, all talking together mm. and all looking to come under the one umbrella of New South Wales Juniors. So from that perspective, I see it as fantastic, you know, don't read, believe what you read in the newspaper and don't believe what Alan Jones writes, but, you know, he mm. says that the pathway for junior rugby is disjointed. He could never be further from the truth that um, the pathway for junior rugby is absolutely united if you look at the way schools, country and Sydney are talking to, to each other and that, you know, what we've put in place is that all three groups are working for the benefit of junior rugby. And you have a look at what um, Ben Gregory's achieved as president is that you have a look at the um, opportunity that are given to boys that have left school but are still under 18. They've still got the opportunity to play for Australia. Now, to me, that's a fantastic opportunity. Um, you go back to the money side of the game, look, you know, it's a question of, and again, I'm not an expert on that, but yeah, are they putting the money in the right places? I can't answer that question, but um, 
they need to be putting it in the right places and they need to be successful off the field. Uh, on the field, sorry. If they're successful on the field, people will follow them. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how the domino effect goes from there. Yeah, And look, an extraordinary career that started in West Wyalong and, and your playing career through to the ref career to, to administration. And congratulations on every every little tick in every box. And the, the under-10 New South Wales Junior Rugby Union State Gala Trophy is now the A.E. Fisher Spirit of Rugby Shield. That must make you, as we wrap this up, must make you very, very proud, Tony. Oh, it does. Um, I was a bit flabbergasted when they nominated me. I said, you know, there's more people who are more deserving than me. But um, no, very thankful for it. And um, I really have enjoyed my rugby journey and I will continue to keep on giving. So it's a look, it's a fantastic sport and there's you get great mates from it. No, Tony, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's, it's people like you in rugby that, that make rugby so special, you know, as much as we've got a great game and a great structure, but it's about the people and uh, hearing you today just enforces that for me and uh, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you do for rugby to keep it going and, uh, you know, it's, it sounds like, um, if you know, the more people we have like you, the better our game will be. And thank you for you guys. You're promoting it and that's what it's all about, talking about the game in the positive sense, not the negative. It's so easy to talk about the negative. Let's always talk about the positive. Yeah, exactly. And I tell you what, I've been dragged even further into this game by my sons. It's amazing how you can be brought into it at, at any level, whether you play it or whether you're associated with it, whether you're a parent, but absolutely love it. Thanks so much, Tone. Catch you soon. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Matt. All the best. That's it for The Running Game this week. We'll be with you every week with more rugby chat and great interviews. Follow us on your favourite podcast app. Thanks today to Bill Young and Lawrence Helena. Thank you also to our wonderful sponsors, X-Blades, and our brilliant producer, Mr. Dan McHugh. See you next time, Matty. Thanks, Tim. Great show. See you next week.